Not very interesting content to carry on. Hashtag content. Hello everyone and welcome to the 42nd episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. This episode is coming to you on the 14th of October 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have some letters of comment. In fact, we have quite a lot of letters of comment owing to having recorded the previous episode quite soon after the previous previous episode you're making sausages we have lots of letters of comment i also wanted to say it's episode 42 which surprised me because i thought octothorpe was the answer to life the universe and everything (laughs) uh possibly possibly i do hope there's no one who is actually taking you know life advice from octothorpe i think that would be bad if you're taking life advice from Octothorpe, please email us. And also, um, <laughs> Octothorpe should be taken only as directed. Ask your physician before taking life advice from Octothorpe. Octothorpe is not a substitute for medical advice. But two thirds of Octothorpe is doctors. Yeah, but if they came to me on a plane and said, help, doctor, that man's having a heart attack, I'll be like, yep. Oh, there's a brilliant meme going around about that at the moment. No, there's a very tedious meme going around about that. <laughs> How many times have you seen it? Literally, like, dozens and dozens about different niche areas. There will be a tedious meme about that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I've seen this meme because I do not do as much social media as some people. Okay, well, actually, I know that Liz has got a million copies in her email, so in her text, so maybe she should send you one. All right, deal. It'd be my Twitter. I'll try. I'll try. It's like when XKD, XKCD did that good thing about like you know the different types of scientific paper, which was immediately done to death. And I saw yeah. like a hundred different versions, and it's like you have sucked all the joy out of XKCD. How? Anyway, maybe I should spend less time on Twitter. On the subject of sucking all of the joy about things, let's start this episode with Jonathan Badley's lock about Dragon Meat's COVID restrictions. Uh, straight into COVID, listeners. You know it. We love it. So um, they're going to have mandatory masking unless people have a medical exemption, and they are going to require NHS COVID passes. Good, correct. We like this. Good job, Dragon Meat. Ten out of ten. Excellent. Thank you to Jonathan for letting us know. So um, Ali posted to Facebook to let us know that there have been no reports of COVID from FantasyCon attendees and also she wrote us an email to let us know her experiences from FantasyCon. Yeah, she she basically said she did a lot of programme. She recorded Fantasy Book Swap Live with Tiffany Aching. She doesn't mean Tiffany Aching, does she? She means Tiffany Angus. <laughs> yes, I think so. I, I don't know whether it's an intentional joke, but it did make me chortle. So thank you, Ali. It gave me some joy. Um, and said social distancing was easy because there weren't that many people there. There was a, She was a bit worried about the masking of other hotel guests, but in fact, as she says, nobody at FantasyCon appears to have caught COVID. And the thing that I wanted to say here is that there is a there is a luck element because one of the things that probably happened is that nobody went to FantasyCon with COVID. And if nobody's infected at your convention, it won't spread no matter how much eyeball licking you do. So... 
what you're doing when you have COVID. So really the... Yes, it's all about risk. This is, I'm going to be very mathematical now. Um, nobody getting COVID isn't good evidence of your policies working. Lots of people getting COVID is strong evidence that your policies didn't work. But the evidence for your policies working well is that one or two people get COVID. Yeah, because there's a little bit of it about, but it did not spread because you had a good policy. What I like about this is the very British redefinition of doing well as like a small number of COVIDs rather than no COVIDs. No, 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 it's not that obviously not having anyone getting COVID is great, but it provides zero evidence for or against the, uh, your policy. Okay, so Liz, the actual epidemiologist with statistical background, <laughs> is going to tell me that I'm talking out my head. I think it might not be as strong evidence as you think, because you could have a person, we know that we know the distribution of like how many people you infect is heavily skewed, right? And many people infect no one and some people infect lots of people, but there's also people in the middle who infect one or two. So I think you probably can't tell the difference between someone comes to your con who is not exhaling a lot of virus and infects one or two people and someone comes to your con and exhales lots of virus because they're in a very, have a very high viral load and infects lots of people based on, you know, use that to whether you think your policies are working. You need kind of an actual, I think you need a better comparator, basically. And, and all of this tells us that the Swiss cheese model of health and safety um, work is, is important here. You have to have your various levels of COVID prevention and, uh, um, and then also be lucky or, or ideally not unlucky. So what we have discovered here is that the fact that no one got COVID may or may not be good. <laughs> no, it's definitely good. It's whether it's good evidence. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the better, better thing to say is, you know, if we have two conventions and one is where everyone is masked up and there's a strict vaccination policy and no one gets COVID and one where they have a much more relaxed masking and vaccination policy, no one gets COVID, that doesn't necessarily mean that we should automatically go for the more relaxed one because it was fine and no one got COVID, I think that's not strong enough evidence. Bingo. Are you advocating that we run control con? <laughs> because I'm up for running control con. I'm fairly sure that if we wait long enough, someone is going to run control con for us. Excellent. Ali also mentions that the book launches were in a big room with small separated tables, which is something we mentioned in the previous episode. One of the things we had mentioned previously was that FantasyCon didn't have a policy on um, mandatory masking. They were like, please wear a, wear a mask if you feel like it. But like they weren't saying you had to. Um, but very much from Ali's lock, I get the impression that almost all of the convention attendees were still wearing a mask. So I suspect that conventions are going to find that even if they don't mandate mask wearing, everyone will wear a mask anyway. So you're not... There's no reason not, in a way, there's no reason not to mandate mask wearing because everyone who's going is already going to be wearing a mask. So you're not really going to annoy anyone as long as you've got like stuff in in place for like medical exemptions. I saw a lot of photos from FantasyCon and nobody was wearing any masks in any of them. And what's going on, as somebody said to me um, in a meeting for a different convention is that everyone stops masking where they're socializing with their friends and over the course of the whole weekend everyone socializes with all their friends which covers everybody at the convention so this is this is the great fallacy of um 
of COVID prevention. So, so when you actually go and do a thing with specific people and not any other people, you are exposing yourself to far less risk and your friends to far less risk than if you go to a convention and spend the weekend socialising in small groups, none of whom are masked. But if you have masks on in um, the common spaces outside of like your table at the bar and being on panels, your risk is lower than it would be if you didn't mask in those times. So, And because we know COVID is exponential, small decreases in risk are important to controlling spread. Yes, they are. I think the other thing to consider is that sometimes people take their masks off to take a nice photo and then put the mask back on. Oh, that would be that, that's great if it's true. Fiona Moore posted a picture to Instagram which she said don't worry I only took my mask off for this photo uh so I, I did see some evidence of um of, of that as Liz said um but yeah it's good to, I think it's good that FantasyCon went off and it's good that it seemed to go well I didn't go because I'm a bit concerned I was a bit concerned about the masking uh but but I'm glad it went well and actually it kind of reassures me for conventions coming up in the rest of the year um so that is good on the topic of Novacon, we got a tweet of comment or a talk from Ange Rosin, um, where she says, uh, pauses Octothorpe, goes to read Novacon policy she knew nothing about on page she didn't know existed. So putting the news out, uh, glad to be of service, Ange. Um, and also Ange bought The Witness, um, which I have not yet done, but I'm excited to when I finish Spiritfarer. 94% complete on Spiritfarer, so it's not far off. Sounds like you really liked it then, and I should give it another go. I'm not really sure. It definitely gets better in the middle. Like, there's a point in the middle where you have enough to do that the bit where you have to actually do the management of your boat becomes, like, compelling enough to keep you playing. And then at the end, when it starts tailing off again, you're like, oh, okay. And at the beginning, there's not enough happening for it to keep you engaged, I think. Um, so it's very definitely a game with a bell curve um, in terms of, like, excitement over time. On the subject of COVID policies at conventions, Bill Burns writes in to say that he was listening to episode 40 and Chris was a bit wrong about US privacy laws not allowing anyone to ask about medical information such as vaccine status. The applicable federal law is HIPAA, which requires that personal health information be kept confidential, um, but it applies only to information held by doctors, hospitals, pharmacies, etc., but it doesn't apply to interactions between an individual and organisations not defined in the act. So if an airline or a convention or a shop wants to say, you've got to show vaccine status, and if you don't, we won't let you in, they are more than uh, able to do that. Um, and because Bill writes um, business software for companies which supply medical equipment, Bill is um, covered under HIPAA and so is intimately familiar with all of these various uh, bits of US law. Um, so thank you very much, Bill. Expert knowledge. Thank you for letting us know. Very interesting stuff. And then Chris Garcia writes in saying that sanitizing mics is actually quite easy. Um, you can because the other thing he knows you can do the 20 minute ultraviolet boxes uh, which were mentioned um, last time but he says that you can also just remove the foam toss it wipe the electronic bits down with bleach and then put new foam on um, which is slightly less um, environmentally friendly but i can see that it would be a lot quicker if you had lots of people kind of all doing uh, things in quick succession um, and that's something we hadn't mentioned so thank you for writing in chris he also says, I do the best mm -hmms in podcasting. You can store all these for later, John. And when we launch our Patreon, 
there will be a soundboard, which is Alison just doing different mm-hmms and Liz mm-hmm. doing different mm-hmm. Jesuses. <laughs> Jesus. Doing different Jesuses, title of your sex tape. <laughs> on the subject of high school movies, which is apparently the gift that keeps on giving, Bridget Bradshaw tweets at us to say that Election is also a very good film. I searched Letterboxd for Election and there are a number of movies by this name. Um, so I'm assuming one of them is a high school movie. Um, but I've asked I've asked Bridget which one she actually means so I can put a link in the show notes. <laughs> Eddie Cochran wrote in to say that one of his favourite high school movies was The Faculty, which he found surprising as he's not usually a horror fan. Lillian Edwards mentioned Buffy the Vampire Slayer and how she was surprised that none of us mentioned it. And I wonder whether I cut us mentioning it out because i'm sure we said something about that i'm gonna say i definitely 100 percent mentioned buffy the vampire slayer and if john cut it out of the episode then that was clearly a cut too far so i i take full responsibility for this as editor um but then i should have noticed and said oh no we need to put it back in otherwise lillian will write i mean and we got a lock so really it's good um and then Farah also wrote in to say that I needed to watch Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and I have indeed seen that movie and I very much enjoyed it and I would say that Farah is probably right about that. Um, So yes, High School Movie Update. I was going to say that I suspect Bridget is meaning the 1999 film election, um, which I have seen although a long time ago and yeah, it is pretty good. It is a kind of like dark comedy with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. And I, I suspect that's the one she means because I remember that getting quite a lot of attention at the time and the director's gone on to make a load of other films like Sideways and The Descendants and so on. It's probably that one. Live follow-up, Bridget tweets to say that she does indeed mean the 1999 Broderick Witherspoon movie. Uh, so hurrah, well done Liz. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and I'll put links to all of the other movies we've mentioned in the show notes as well. So yeah, thank you to everyone who wrote in. Farah also mentions that Asterix is a classic choice for language expansion. And that had not occurred to me, but now it has occurred to me I will be buying lots of Spanish language editions of Asterix books. So thank you very much, Farah. Were we talking about language acquisition? Because, and it is actually on topic, because I am going to SMOFCON, um, which is at the beginning of December, um, and is in Lisboa. And I am therefore learning Portuguese, a language which I had no idea I needed to learn um, for fun, just a bit. Um, It's full of words that don't look like I should know them, but when they're pronounced, I go, oh, yes, that's cheese. Um, And so on. Or you're going in person. I am. You know, I want to I should say this here because I've been actually holding this up and not posting about it. Um, Dublin 2019 offered, I think, 19 scholarships to people from around the world to attend SMOFCON. And I don't know how many of these have been taken up, but I am I am going to SMOFCON on a Dublin 19 scholarship. It doesn't cover the whole cost, but it covers quite a lot of the costs. And I'm taking my husband with me for a three day mini break because it turns out that Ryanair do cheap flights. There's a song about that and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And the hotel only costs 10 euros extra if there's two of you rather than one. And the convention has a five euro membership rate for people who don't actually want to attend the programme. I'm kind of wondering whether I can ask for that one for free instead of the full one. And... um... (laughs) (laughs) And I hadn't counted on the cost of... um getting covid tests but i don't think it's going to be that great because i think it's just lateral flow tests 
no, I'm going to, I'm going to Lisbon. I'm very excited, but also very scared because flying. Congratulations. It's huge news and um, it's very good. And then I'm going to hide in my house for a fortnight when I get home. I that's, that's not, no longer required. I'd done it and it was fine. I, I can't promise to do this, but when Liz did it, I sent her an AeroPress. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. I have, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not we... going to, but Liz Liz needed a way to get good coffee in her hotel in Thailand. So I, I provided her with an AeroPress I was getting rid of anyway. So, um, so yes. I'm very confident that I will be able to get good coffee in Portugal. And I am even more confident that there are many, many ways to make coffee in this house, including at least two aeropresses. Oh, well, I now have two aeropresses because I've got John's. The thing is, I didn't consider... So ship one from Thailand to... um... Yeah, I didn't consider when when leaving that, you know, I would need one on the way back. I could have got good coffee, but it would have been like £3.50 a cup and I am a cheapskate and I was staying in hotels. Um, So I got John's aeropress and took it back with me and some bags of coffee. And probably confuse the maid. Yeah, when we stay in co- hotels in the UK, we take cold brew with us, but that's not going to be an option for this trip. So hmm, we're not going to fly with cold brew in the suitcase. Because you're not buying any baggage because you're going on Ryanair. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Anyway, I will be excited to hear hear from your first in-person convention. It will be my third in-person convention. Oh, by then it will, yeah. Because we'll have been to Corflu and Novacon. <laughs> Having gone to no conventions for two years, I'm going to three and six weeks because I'm absolutely insane. <laughs> I just want to say thanks ever so much to Dublin 2019 for the scholarship because although it's not a huge amount of money, it really does genuinely make a massive difference to me and I'm sure that's true for a lot of other people. And I haven't been able to attend a Smofcon in person before, so I am very excited. I think also I need to do a personal shout out to James Bacon, who posted everywhere saying, do not self-exclude from these scholarships. Do not think that they're not for you or the likes of you, because had he not done that, I would definitely not have applied. So because I would have self-excluded, I'd have gone, oh, no, they're really for for younger fans or fans who are more interested in world cons rather than Easter cons or fans who don't run snitty podcasts about the world con. I was just going to say that I, I have been to Smofcon because um, I went to Smofcon in Amsterdam in 2012, maybe. The reason I went to Smofcon is because James was like, come to Smofcon, it'll be a laugh. And also you need to meet Ian because you're going to run a division with him. Um, I need you to actually like, you know, uh, sit down and chat, I think. or maybe, And then maybe I think he couldn't go. Anyway, I went and it was extremely Worldcon uh, heavy and the Vanishing Exhibition lasts forever. But... It was Amsterdam, and I had a very nice time, you know, messing around Amsterdam, basically. And James and I went to a bunch of comic shops, went out and had some drinking. Uh, I think that was also the one in which Emily stood up and proposed uh, a bid for Worldcon in Maryham, which, you know, eventually turned into an actual bid for Worldcon. I I joked earlier about um, not wanting to go to the con. What I mean is, of course, that when I went to the Longcon staff weekends, I found they were best. The more time I spent in the bar having the side conversations with people and maybe going to see the delights of not Amsterdam, but more Stevenage was particularly valuable. And that actually the the formal plenary and even breakout sessions for these 
conventions are not necessarily as useful as people think they are. I mean, I, I, the Spanish Inquisition is very important, but the thing that's important is the process of answering all the questions ready for it rather than the actual event, which I agree is like watching paint dry. <laughs> Smovcon Europe has a commitment to con running more broadly than just Wilcon, I should say, and they are about the European regional conventions and encouraging people who are planning to do those. I think partly because that's where we get the next generation of um, European Wilcon runners from, though not in my case. You're not going to run a European Wilcon? <laughs> no, obviously not. There are plenty of people who want to do this who are younger than me. I'd like to go to one eventually. I also missed out. There were a couple of cons in the UK called Conrunner that I also did not manage to get to. I did go to Conrunner, which is very focused on Easter cons, actually, as you might expect. So it's kind of an ideal convention for people who run Easter cons and their friends. Cool. I went to Conrunner. That's my sole comment. Was it good? Uh, I think so. <laughs> Must have been good then. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. That that I usually find is not a bad sign. I remember it was in Steve... Oh, basically, all I remember is I think I went to Stevenage, having never been to Stevenage, and probably I just spent a lot of time drinking. Uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe we should move on to broadcastable things. We've got more locks to get through, so... Okay, God. Jesus. Karen Schaffer says, They don't really have tray bakes, except as imported from the Great British Bake Off. So the Bake Off, transferring tray bakes to the rest of the world. Hurrah! Soft power. Is that all our letters of comment? Yes. Now we move on to the other letters of comment that we solicited. <laughs> so this is this is episode 42, listeners. And so I thought it might be nice to talk a little bit about Douglas Adams. Uh, for those who don't know who Douglas Adams is, um, he was a British writer uh, who wrote a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the ultimate answer to life, the universe and everything is revealed to be 42. And uh, this leads to a much longer period of time in which people try and work out what the hell the question is. Um, I feel like that's not actually true. I feel like what was actually revealed was that the computer that was designed to establish what the answer to the life, the universe and everything was came up with 42. I believe this is a piece of commentary on on computers and the things that they do. Ah. Uh, anyway, never mind. Um yes, so if if you if you are listening to this podcast and you don't know who Douglas Adams is already, yeah, no, that would be great. Let us know. I mean, hurrah for you because you've got a lot of good content ahead of you. I don't think it's very likely, but you know, that would be amazing. But yes, yeah, so we had multiple people write in with their Douglas Adamsy kind of anecdotes and tidbits. Um, and I'll read Chris's first so that I can close his email after I've done so. Chris Garcia wrote in to say that he met Douglas Adams once. And when he met Douglas Adams, he told him Arthur C. Clarke said hi. And if you want to know more about that anecdote, talk to Chris in the bar. And then Alex Holden wrote in to say that... Um, he watched a repeat of the BBC TV series as a young lad and learned there was an accompanying novel. And then he went on a shopping expedition to a second-hand bookshop. And he was surprised and impressed when the shopkeeper had not only heard of the book, he supplied the full title and author when it was only partially out of my mouth. Um, Alex still has it and it remains one of his favourite novels. 
Uh, I remember when I got into Hitchhikers realizing other people knew about it and they liked it was a bit of a revelation because uh, at that point several of my hobbies were not things that other people liked and or at the very least I had not yet found the other people who liked them I think is probably a better way of putting it I suspect this is something with many of our listeners sympathize with I have some things I want to talk about my experience of Hitchhikers um which is that it completely passed me by, um, not because I hadn't been born yet, like some people I could mention, but um, because I was living in America at the time and um, and it didn't really quite catch on there. So what happened was that I came back to the UK and, and went to university in Britain and discovered that I met all these science fiction fans. They were all like, oh, hitchhikers, it's amazing. And, and they were kind of like really into it. They're not as into it as the people who were actually into it, who they called... Towleys and who included our very own Claire Brawley, friend of the show. But when I went to my first Worldcon, which was the, um, I guess the 87 Worldcon, there was a vast amount of hitchhikers, everything, everywhere there, because it really was incredibly popular amongst UK science fiction fans, as you would probably expect, because it's very good. And by then I caught up. I didn't buy the official hitchhikers towel, which was a proper Terry towel with the stuff on it weaved into the fabric. Um, and I kind of have regretted that ever since. It was extremely expensive, which is why I didn't buy it, but I hadn't have any money. They now trade hands for stupid amounts of money because that's the way the world works these days. I have one. I bought it on eBay for the princely sum of $100. And that was back at the time when the exchange rate between pounds and dollars was not as silly as it currently is it was it was back in the day when it was roughly two to one so surfing for for merchandise on ebay in the states was like a super viable way of of getting good stuff in the uk uh, it wouldn't work these days and and it is it is much rarer now and people know how rare things are a bit more now i think when max wrote an article for my very first fanzine she described me as the hitchhikers fan who was indexed linked to the ebay prices for hitchhikers merch which I took at the time as a great compliment. Lillian Edwards wrote to us to say she was on the committee of the first ever convention Adams came to, which was Hitchcock in Glasgow. She says, I ought to have lots of really great stories, but all I can remember is that he was very, very tall. So thanks, Lillian. Lillian herself is not very, very tall and has the same problem with very tall people that I do, which is they're, they're a very long way away from you in the bar. <laughs> They sent photos of their Beeble Bears. They did send photos of their Beeble Bears. I think people might have heard of Douglas Adams and still not know what a Beeble Bear is, but there's a cottage industry here in the UK where a woman makes teddy bears with two heads and three arms and they're very adorable. Every single one is different. She never repeats. And we have a couple of Beeble Bears around here. Jonathan's Beeble Bear had to go to the Beeble Bear Hospital on multiple Ooh. occasions and they were kind of like do not do that jonathan but there we go <laughs> yeah i have a beaver bear. i have a beaver bear called barry he is blue and he has tartan paws and i love him extremely much um there are various um we should put a photo of a beaver bear in the show notes however can we have a, a picture of barry so people did post photos of their Beeble Bears on Facebook and there is a link to that Facebook post in the show notes, but I will also try and put the pictures as chapter art. Um, but there are a number of brilliant pictures of Beeble Bears. 
a bunch of people posted basically saying like i was in hitchhiker's fandom through zz9 and zz9 was a big formative thing for me and um so johnny i just wanted to pick out one um called uh one that johnny had posted saying that he met a bunch of people from zz9 at his first con in 1999 and they started going to the zz9 pub meets and now um johnny like a lot of his friends were in london fandom and that was their route in and then he notes of course there was that one agm where a 14 year old member came along and we had to convince his dad we were responsible adults and that that was me i was the 14 year old uh that they had to persuade my dad that they were responsible adults before my dad would drop me off they had the agm of peterborough and i was a member of the society i got the magazine uh, and i said to my dad i want to go to the agm and that was when i met i met I met Doug Spencer, I met Flick, I met Simo. God, who else was there? Um, Red. And did you meet any responsible adults? Uh, I don't remember meeting any responsible adults, but I think I remember meeting people who were able to convince my dad that they were. Um, So, yes. Johnny does note that um, that was also the same AGM that the BBC filmed the AGM for the BBC Big Read. So I was on the telly with my braces and my I Got the Babelfish uh, t-shirt um, so that was my first, there is there is televisual evidence of my first Fanish meeting, rather bewilderingly. It was good. And it was just, it was weird and great. And I loved it. Um, and now I'm in fandom, yeah, more. Oh, do I have a link for you? Oh, God, I love the internet. Is, is what it I have a link to is the BBC big read on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hey, I've got... Is this going to have John age 14? I'm hoping so, yes. Yes, I was going to say, is it on the internet? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it will. And if you've actually got, if you've got a good version, because the version I've got was like ripped off a of VHS, so. Oh, no, it will be ripped off VHS. I mean, there's 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 ver- various people saying it's very terrible. I've got one. I could probably put it on YouTube, actually. When I was reading science fiction in my 20s, if you had asked of the things in science fiction which one is going to be reality in 30 years, a device that you put into your ears that auto-translated every language in the universe would not have been one of them. And yet here we are. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's, it's my biggest gosh wow oh boy oh boy moment of my entire life. That is completely fair. So well done, Douglas Adams, who also went to my college and has something to say on big sofas, which is another thing that's going on in my life. What did he have to say on, on big sofas? Rotate, rotate the, the sofa through four-dimensional space to get it out the flat. Talk gently, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of people posted on Facebook to let us know their experiences from kind of Douglas Adams uh, and how they experienced him. Uh, and there is a link in the show notes so if you want to go and read all the reminiscing. Uh, it's really good. It's really positive. Just loads of people being like, I love that. And I love how it got me into the stories and hurrah. And so, yes. Liz, you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I did read Chick-fil-A's Guide to the Galaxy. I read it at quite an early age, I think, because my dad had it and he had these great covers where if you had all four of them, you could arrange them in four different ways to get four different four different pictures. <laughs> oh, God. I feel so old now. Sorry, Alison. When, when were you born, Liz? Is this a too personal a question? 1982. Three. I was one year out. Uh, before John is the crucial thing, I think. Before John, but critically so that you could have it read to you as bedtime stories. No, 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 I read it. Oh, no, I'm not that young. <laughs> I read it myself because there was a copy in the house when I was growing up because my dad owned that four-book box set. 
is a thing. But he also had taped the TV show off the TV, so he had it on a VHS. And so I think I watched that before I even read the books. Um, so interestingly, I came to it through the TV show and not the books and never listened to the radio show until much later. But I also um, had a bunch of other other stuff around. So I picked up a copy of the radio scripts in a second bookshop and I liked Adam's philosophy on taking lots of baths and eating uh, lots of Bovril sandwiches. Um, I also read Don't Panic, the uh, kind of guide to the Hitchhiker's Galaxy that uh, Neil Gaiman wrote. And I think that may have been the first like Neil Gaiman book I ever. Nice. So I all these quite early on. But I never I never found I never went to ZZ9 or even thought about looking for ZZ9. I think it just never occurred to me. So I didn't know that ZZ9 existed until I started commenting conventions and there was always a stall selling two headed three armed bears. So the thing that happened to me was I was in the Lego club and so I knew that if I liked something enough, there might be someone who would send me a magazine about it. And so every hobby I then developed after Lego, I would look on the internet to see if there was a club I could join that would send me a newsletter about it. And with leather bookmarks, there was not. But with Douglas Adams, there was. And that was how I got into fandom. So it's actually the Lego club that really, I guess, gave me the impetus. So John is young enough that he grew up with the internet, which is really weird because I thought that was only true of children. (laughs) (laughs) But clearly isn't now. Liz is going to say, yeah, I sort of grew up with the internet, but not really, right? Well, I mean, I had it when I was 13. Mm. But then it was internet where, you know, you had to go to the specific computer and connect it to the internet. And then you, you know, had a certain amount of time because you were paying a penny a minute for the phone call. Not like it is in my pocket and always on. So I think that's a fundamentally different relationship with the internet. I have uploaded a video, which is my rip of the AGM clip. Uh, and I am in it. I am in three bits, uh, and I am. I am young. Right. Excuse, excuse me briefly while I go and look at little tiny baby John. <laughs> I am like. I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> so we could just, rather than linking to the entire thing, we could just insert John because that's the only thing that's very interesting about this work. Because it's also got like young Doug, young Heidi, Flick. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got, I've, I've linked to the thirty-minute show, so I'd have thought that I've given, I put a link in the show notes to it on YouTube, so it might be the same thing. Ah, but no, it's not. Oh no, this is the ZZ9 AGM, not the thing. Yeah, okay. The ZZ9 AGM wasn't in the Hitchhiker's Guide episode; it was in the Wuthering Heights episode for reasons I still don't quite understand. Wow. So the Hitchhiker's Guide episode did not have the ZZ9 plug in it; it was in a different episode. So yeah, thank you to everyone who wrote in. I think it's probably people can tell um from the way I describe it that it was a huge formative part of like my I guess my like teenage years really. I came across them when I was 11, so um and like kind of is my route into fandom. And I think even if that's not true for you, I think people do still have very fond memories of it because it's still such a great thing and it it really stands up. It's also still very the radio shows are still very very, very funny. And very well produced. And um, I think it was very influential on British fandom in lots of ways. When you're thinking about ways in which British and American fandom differ, the fact that we like things that are funny has to be one of the main ones. Don't all write. I've, I, I'm sorry, I've I watched this clip. John, is that you like right in the middle, right at the very end? Yep, that is me. You're, you're almost unrecognisable. I, I do not. I had to get a new passport earlier than i should have done because 
when I started going to conferences, my passport photo was from when I was like 17. And, and there was a point where at US um, security, they stopped, they nearly stopped me getting on a plane because they were like, we do not believe this is your passport, um, which is, I was like, I'm going to get a new passport now because I was terrifying. I recognize like Doug and, and Heidi and, and Flick and Alex, but I think if you hadn't told me that was you, I would not have realized it was you. I do look quite different now. Yeah, it's amazing. I bulked out. I used to think when I was that age, I thought I was fat. And looking back, I would, like body image is a hell of a drug, isn't it? You were a skinny wee thing. I was. It's more that your face is different. Okay. But yes, like I say, thank you very much for everyone uh, who wrote in. Brilliant. Oh, God, I remember something else I should have said about Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams, also the first absolute dyed-in-the-wool, will-accept-no-substitutes Mac junkie who I ever really encountered. Not in person, but but in, in his writings. Um, really very, had the way of it. Yeah, one of the very large formative influences he had on me was his... I remember it was... There's a piece of writing in The Salmon of Doubt where he talks about how to make tea. And he's like, a lot of people will tell you you don't really need to know how to make tea because you should make tea. And it's like, no, those people are wrong. There is a way to make tea and it is this. And I was like, that, that I think, had a huge influence on my thinking uh, as like a teenager was like, you know, trying to do things in order to get good quality things rather than just saying, ah, it'd be fine. Um, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of that in me comes from Douglas. He was uncompromising about doing things to make them good, um, and hence deadlines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Since last time we recorded, it has been announced that there will be a Worldcon bid for Dublin in 2029. And Liz, you were our roving reporter who brought this to our attention. Yeah, I saw a tweet. Hey. <laughs> um, so they announced it, I believe, at the end of Octacon. I will say I signed up to Octacon, but then, and th and this is the thing that doesn't really happen for like in-person conventions, but has does seem to occasionally happen for virtual conventions. I basically didn't really feel much like a convention last weekend, so I dipped in and out of the Discord, but didn't really attend Octacon. Um, but I did technically have a membership. Um, but I believe they announced it at the end of the convention, which would make sense. The place you're going to announce your Irish bids is an Irish convention. Announcing it for 10 years after the last one seems pretty sensible. And it also puts you on a cycle where you are five years away from the next uh, British one. So you're kind of not competing for people's time and energy at the same time in the cycle. Yeah, seems good. I really like 2019. I'd have to go back to Dublin. Seems like a good thing. Yep, I agree. I'm not hugely keen on Worldcom bids announcing further and further and further in advance, just because it, it seems to then sort of take, well, why am I not keen? I'm not keen on Worldcom bids announcing further and further in advance, because I think it sort of then like can end up with you doing a lot of active things a very long way in advance, which can sometimes mean the whole cycle of Worldcom bidding and Worldcom running takes a very long time and takes a lot of people's efforts. Um, but I guess it does make sense if you are, trying to maximise your bid energy into bidding for a year um, when you have little competition. There's a sense to which if we have a certain number of Worldcon bids that is about the same as the number of Worldcon gears, then it makes sense to kind of plan in advance when you want to do it. Does that make sense? I mean, I think things like three-way and four-way bidding 
can sometimes result in people putting a lot of effort into bidding and then having to decide if they lose whether they want to immediately turn around a bid again at which point you might have been bidding for five years before you start even running your convention but in this case i think it makes total sense because you know it says look dublin did a great world con we would like to do it again i think taking a space where we're saying actually we think um britain and ireland between them are up for a world con every five years is quite interesting i think that probably does reflect the amount of um fanish energy in the countries compared to the united states and north america generally and um i think that's quite interesting i we might be a bit tired by 2019. <laughs> I'll definitely be tired by 2019. 2029. 20, did I just say 2019? You see, this is how tired I am. <laughs> Alison is so tired. She was tired two years ago. That, one of the things that seems to happen to you when you're old and also me is that you lose decades out of your life quite a lot. So you keep thinking that things are 10 years less ago than they actually are or that something happened in a decade, 10 years out from when it did, or that we're actually in the something, we're actually in 2011 rather than 2021. We are in 2021, right? I'm losing track. Pretty sure. We are still in 2021. Um, also in Worldcon Futures, um, there's Sarah Felix has a Texas bid going on. Yes, which is very exciting. Um, um, which I have pre-supported. I have pre-supported. This is outrageous, really. This is how merchandise works, guys. I pre-supported um, the Texas bid because Sarah has a bunch of ribbons saying, I pre-supported Texas before it was cool that she's going to give out at SmothCon, and I want one. Um, I mean, that is fair. I have a question for you, Alison. Which year is the Texas bid? don't know. It's for the future. Is it on the internet? <laughs> it's not it's not for the past is it no i don't think i mean literally i think this is sarah and a bunch of 20 dollar bills yeah i mean i don't think it's launched in the sense i mean this is people thrusting 20 dollar bills on sarah if i paypal you 20 dollars, can you get me a i pre-supported texas before it was cool ribbon please no what you need to do is pay um i'll send you we'll put the link in the show notes basically you paypal her she's got a link in her I think she's actually got a one-click link now for PayPaling, and then if you tell her, you'll get your ribbon from me at Smofcon, um, or after Smofcon. That's what we'll do. Hey, nice, good stuff. Though not, I don't know when I'm going to see you, but I'll put it in an envelope. Mm-hmm. Okay, brilliant. Um, and if that Facebook post is public, there'll be a link in the show notes, and then um, you can pre-support Texas too. Um, I want to send US dollars, PayPal, none of your flim flam. Stop PayPaling people money for cons while we're recording the, the podcast. Roger that. I want to plug the science fiction encyclopedia. This is a big thing that has happened in the last two weeks, which is it's now in its fourth edition on its own website. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it has parted ways with Galantz, who have been looking after it for the last little while and is now um, being run by its own holding company and Ansible Editions, which um, is the publishing arm of Dave Langford. Dave, Dave Langford clearly has three arms like a beeble bear, um, two regular ones and one publishing one. And it is, in fact, edited by friend of the show, Dave Langford and also John Clute. Um, and Graham Slight is the managing editor, which I assume means he does all the grunt work and gets none of the major credit. 
and they also remember Peter Nichols as their founding editor. Um, so, yeah, it remains an extremely good resource for <laughs> for everything in our genre. Um, that probably won't tell you how to pre-support the Texas bid. It's not, it's not very fanish. It's not the sort of thing I expect to get from an encyclopedia, to be fair. <laughs> Fine. If you are going to Novacon... Then we are doing Octothorpe Live. We will have an exclusive stunt Liz. Uh, Liz, why aren't you coming to Novacom? Because I live 6,000 miles away and the UK doesn't believe I'm vaccinated. That's fair. I explained it to the head of programme at Novacon uh, by saying that the train links between Bangkok and Buxton were poor, uh, which I believe is true. I mean, to be fair, the the trains to Buxton are, are rubbish. It's probably still paces or something. You technically could get the train from Bangkok to Buxton because of the Eurostar, but it just wouldn't be, like, quick. You can't. So this is a complete digression, but I don't think you actually can get any trains internationally from Thailand that cross into another country at the moment. I think I actually have to get a non-train link somewhere. Oh. So I did obviously look at this at some point, um... And I think actually what I would have to do is start in Vietnam. And from Vietnam, you can do the whole loop through up to like the Trans-Siberian Railway to Moscow and then, you know, through to Paris and then on the Eurostar. But I don't think I can do the first bit. Anyway, obviously, at this point, I can't do any of that. But in general. Yeah, Sarah says it's 10 years out. So I think it's a bit for 2031. Jesus, I'm going to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Um, yes, we'll be doing Octothorpe Live with a stunt Liz, who at this moment is a secret. We have asked them, and they have said yes, but we're keeping it secret to raise the suspense. Can I get a new? Ooh. And it'll be good. It's at one o'clock on Sunday, in the afternoon, not in the morning. So it'll be good, and we're really looking forward to doing it, and we will see you all there. Um, haven't thought about how to actually do the technical side yet, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be the first Octothorpe Live that is actually, like, live and in person, isn't it? Yes, and also the first Octothorpe without Liz. Yeah, so I, I feel that really, truly, the first Octothorpe Live and in person will, will not be till I'm there, obviously. Oh, yeah, obviously. It will be a pretend Octothorpe. We will get you round... We'll, we will get you onto Octothorpe Live at some point. You will come to the UK for a con one day, right? Yes, I will come back at some point, yeah. So, Glasgow yes, in 2024, put us on the programme or we'll hunt you down. Okay, so... Picks. Picks. My So I've got a choice of two picks this time around, and I think I'm going to pick Lovecraft Country. Now, I appreciate this is an old... Um, I say old this is a TV series that everyone already watched and talked about and I am aware of that Um, but at the time it was on Now TV I did not have Now TV and now I have Now TV which is now called Now but it is still on now so I have now watched it it is very good I liked it a great deal Um, I was a little bit worried it would end on a cliffhanger because I know that they um, only got the news they weren't doing a second season um, kind of quite recently like a couple of months ago i think um but actually the first season ends on quite a good note if that is the end of the whole series um and yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed it really thought it was good and um reminded me quite a lot of watchmen in some ways um not in plot ways but more like it's cool that we've now got a couple of different sf shows that show 
the black experience and parts of that that I had not really been exposed to before. So I thought that was really, really neat. Um, so yeah, really enjoyed it. Would recommend it's on now. Um, now is £10 a month, but there are often like discounts and deals you can find if you sleuth on the internet. Um, so yeah, um, I enjoyed it. Have either of you seen Lovecraft Country? I have the book in my to-be-read pile. Oh, yes, it's based on a book. I need to... I had it out of the library and the library said, uh, you need to bring this back. So I took it back and said, oh, I'll buy the ebook instead. And the ebook is 99p. So, yeah, that's a good idea. I would recommend it despite the fact that I haven't read it yet. But, yeah, by uh, Matt Ruff, I think. Yes, and I've read other things by Matt Ruff, but not Lovecraft Country. I also haven't watched it because I would need to subscribe to another streaming service to watch it. And I just haven't got round to, you know, rotating my streaming services round to HBO Go. Yeah, see also television bankruptcy and the fact that apps have sprung up where that are designed to allow you to easily subscribe and unsubscribe from all these different things month and month, month by month, which might be good. Um, but yeah, no, I'll put it on my list for next time I get Now TV. I will watch it along with whatever else I'm watching on now. Very quickly, I watched Avengers Endgame, which is a load of old bobbins, and um, I've picked up bobbins from the Sudoku guy. Um, I watched Avengers Endgame, which is a load of old bobbins, and John said, perhaps you don't like the MCU very much. Why do you keep watching it? And I realised that we're going through a process in my house. I live with somebody else, which is something that, you know, in general, I recommend. But I go, let's watch a movie tonight. We could watch this well-regarded Korean drama or we could watch this um, short, funny, modern comedy or this Hugo nominated movie or Hugo finalist movie. Or we could watch the latest round of extruded MCU product. And on every occasion when I do this, my husband says, "Ooh, I quite fancy the le- next round of extruded MCU product. He doesn't say that. He says, "Ooh, let's watch Avengers Endgame. That sounds great. Um, so I'm actually going to tackle this domestically. Um, but I probably am going to carry on watching MCU for this reason, because sometimes you just live with somebody else and they like the MCU more than you do. Bastard. I also want to talk a bit about Foundation, which is on Apple TV, which Apple TV Plus, which, as we know, is the streaming service that nobody has. Um, hashtag watch Ted Lasso. Um, I've watched two episodes so far. Um, quite like it. It takes massive liberties with the plot. Um, and obviously taking massive liberties with the plot is quite a good thing in the case of Foundation, because the original books have quite a lot wrong with them. And I think the TV show will have different things wrong with it. Um, they've done quite a lot of quite clever things to cope with the fact that the action in this story happens over a very long time, which makes things harder if you're trying to cast a TV show with a recurring cast. Um, so, I'll, And it's very pretty. It's They've spent a lot of money on CGI vistas. I don't much like CGI vistas, but, you know, I know, understand that a lot of people do. So, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I mean, I'm also watching Foundation and I have Ted Lasso having finished. I'm now at the stage of do I keep subscribing to Apple TV basically just so I can watch Foundation? And uh, maybe I did enjoy the first two and well, trying to spoil too much. I mean, I haven't read any of the books. Um, it 
does set up stuff like the end of episode two ends in a reasonably dramatic fashion, which episode three basically ignores because they've definitely got a plan, which is to do things quite slowly. But after quite enjoying the first two, the third one is like, oh, are you going to tell me anything about that thing that happened at the end of episode two? Mm, No, not yet. I I saw a fan theory about the end of episode two. And in fact, even... Even if somebody had said to me, there's a fan theory, I'd have known what the fan theory was. And having heard the fan theory, I'm like, oh, of course, that's what's, what, what happened there. Um, so it's it, it, if it doesn't come out that way, I'll be very surprised. I mean, I, I do like the kind of uh, eternal emperor um, of different age clones, but I understand that's not in the books. That's a made up for the series thing. Yeah, they've made it up so they can use the same actor all the way through, which is really clever. You know, I'm going to give them props for that. That's a really good choice in how you move things onto onto a television, transfer things from from book to television whilst keeping their essential nature, but being able to cast an actor or three actors in this case. It's very clever, yeah. Mm. Uh, if you recall, last time I said I was reading a book that was pretty good, but I hadn't finished it yet. And so I could not recommend it for a pick because I need to know if it had a good ending. Unfortunately, I have finished a book and it's got a pretty good ending. So I can recommend Children of Ruin by Adrian Tchaikovsky, which is a sequel to his earlier book, Children of Time. But it's a fairly loose sequel. So if you haven't read Children of Time for a few years, like you'll be fine. It's not one of these giant fantasy novels where you need to know exactly you know, who was married to who and who fell out with who. It's kind of a fairly, like, loose sequel using the same concepts and the same some of the same characters. Um, it's essentially about, you know, far future humanity, uh, colonising planets, but also they set up in Children of Time a planet full of uplifted, super-intelligent spiders. Um, and Children of Ruin takes that, but also adds kind of uplifted, super-intelligent octopuses. And also they, they they meet some alien life. And it's basically a space opera novel all about communication. So it has all, you know, your nice space opera sense of wonder stuff. There's lots of, you know, interplanetary travel and spaceships um, and aliens and also octopuses and spiders. But it's basically about kind of like how do you communicate when your fundamental ideas about the nature of communication may be completely different or your, your kind of, uh, you know, how your species notion of like the transmission of information works is totally different. And it really, really digs into that in quite a lot of detail. And I find it really fascinating. I do think it's a little bit too long. And so I was flagging towards the end. And also I'd slightly lost track of who was in which spaceship on or on which space station and where the other spaceship had gone and so on. Um so I recommend reading it when you think you can kind of plough through it fairly quickly so you don't lose track of what's going on. But I, I do I do recommend it and it is it's very good and it scratched that particular kind of I want to read a book with spaceships in itch. So it's good. Nice. I haven't read Children of Ruin, but I have read Children of Time and I really enjoyed it. So Children of Ruin is on my um on my list of things to read. I believe Children of Time won the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Um and uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading the next one. 
in terms of books that deal with kind of language and what it is to communicate with people who don't understand you um i really like that genre of book in general um so ian watson wrote the embedding which i loved um china mayville wrote embassy town which i loved and the movie arrival kind of deals with similar things i haven't read the short story that arrival is based on um but i have uh seen the movie and loved it um so yeah it's, it's something i'm i'm excited to do at some point john how have you have you not read that story sorry just like i mean it's fair has no one like given you stories of your life and others and locked you in a room until you've read it all i've read exhalation the compilation that was up for the hugo award but i don't think it's in that oh no this is the previous one it's not this it's in the previous one which i have not yet read which i should uh which is maybe even better you should it's got some of like the best short stories ever I mean, on the on the subject of languages, I read, I think, last year, Native Tongue by uh, Suzette Hayden Elgin, which is about language and in a slightly different way. It's it's a dystopian future American, um, and essentially women create their own new language as an act of resistance. Oh, that's cool. What's that one called? And it, it's really interesting. It's called Native Tongue, and it was it was published in the the mid eighties. Cool. And it, I mean, it is about translation with alien species, but also about how the women then use these powers of translation to, yeah, kind of have their own resistance. Um, so that's definitely worth reading. Good stuff. That was the 42nd episode of the Octothought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.